0: Podcast. We welcome Michelle Money. Hey, that's me. Toby's top ten list is seventeen movies long, and we go cuckoo for a cuckoo's nest. <laughs>
1: Look at the faces on you. Look at you,
0: the Feed brigade, you
2: gigglings! the mental defective league in formation.
0: And I take you to the long, deep. Dark pit behind the house. This is Plot Points Podcast.
3: This is Mark with PodPoints Podcast. Um, this is a very auspicious occasion for us again. Uh, this is our, our second year, beginning our second year, and I'm so thrilled to have uh, Toby Walwork with us uh, still. Good morning. And uh, Victor Fan, who is a incredible uh, – boy, I don't even know where to start with you. Um, I mean, illustrator, writer, director, producer – Teacher martial artist, just so welcome Victor oh, thank you and it's a it's a real a thrill to have um, Michelle Manu with us. Let me go, just go through some of her some, who she is and then we'll say hello to her uh, she, the title is her titles are Kumalua and Dame Michelle uh, Michelle I, I'm assuming the Dame Michelle is because of the uh, royal uh, uh, the Knight Commander
0: yes, yeah, Royal Order of Commandment the first.
3: Okay. And that's pretty prestigious. That's um, You're the first woman to ever get that?
0: Yeah, it's kind of unnerving. It's something I never even thought of or would aspire to achieve because honestly, you can't even be a member unless you're a, a man. So to act, for them to actually knight any sort of woman is just unheard of. And it's actually shook up some of the men there that have been, have been um, trying to be knighted and uh so yeah it was quite a surprise
3: we should explain that michelle is a, a world-class uh martial artist she's a senior black belt under Alohe solomon Wow! and yeah I, I get that right about once a decade um She's also a competitive athlete, a professional Poly- Polynesian dancer, and, and uh, I just saw your uh, you did a Hawaiian dance for a dojo up in L.A. and I had no idea hips moved that way. By the way, so uh, that was a pretty impressive video. Um, she's a relentless advocate uh, for women's self awareness and self defense. Uh, my God, you just have credits. Uh, you know, you just all the all through for colleges, community programs, homeless shelters. And internationally, you just were in Germany, right?
0: No, that was last year. I just returned from Switzerland and Austria.
3: Uh, you're also a TV host, an MMA fight commentator, and uh, you, you do stunt work, which is amazing. You're a fight actress, and you do film and TV narration. Um, you do you. I didn't know this about you. You were a model at one time, um, which I which makes perfect sense if you've ever seen <sighs> Michelle. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, You've done, uh, oh my God, I'm just like halfway through your damn credits. Um, You're also the host of the Masters Hall of Fame World News, which we both belong to, the Masters Hall of Fame. Uh, Producer of Silk Warrior TV, Influential TV, Heroes Hearts, and a contributing author to several literary and documentary works. Uh, Modeling graduate of John Casablanca's, uh, John Robert Powers, and Barbizon, and was named Orange County Model of the Year in 1986. You've taught for... Oh, my God. Here we go. I mean, so you're a legal and business executive, specialist, crisis consultant, facil- facilitative Can
0: we stop? Uh, mediator. <laughs> You've I hate privately. myself. <laughs> no, Actually, goes, I feel quite exhausted. goes on, on and
2: on.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: That's all the time we have, folks. Thank That's you for getting here. <laughs> I was going to say, you're certainly overqualified.
3: <laughs> anyway, if you want to see more about Michelle, you can go to uh, michellemanu.com and I will put links in the show notes uh to actually I think I'm going to try to find that uh, Hula v- video too and uh and uh, post that too. The what is that thing you wear on your head? Uh that like that thing that looks like a crown of, oh my of gosh, thorns. Oh very
0: Jesus like. Um I know, you know, it's just a, a traditional ceremonial ornamental type of fern, but it's the red fern. So if you see like kahu or wise men and women wearing a mm. uh, tea leaf, it's equivalent to that. So it's used in blessings. Um, and that, that was a really powerful hula mm. yesterday because the night before I, even up to the night before, I didn't know what really the ancestors wanted me to show. And it sounds really woo woo, but this is how I teach too. I mean, I, there's no way I could possibly do all that I do if I wasn't empowered some way, um, physically, there's just no way. So, uh, yesterday as the hula, as I'm doing this blessing through the hula and in honor of Pele too, because of the very current events that are taking place on Hawaii Island right now, as we're sitting here, um,
3: Right, our thoughts, yeah. Yeah, thoughts it's
0: unnerving, true. and um, I don't know, I chose that um, as well as uh, to maybe empower some of the women that have been training for 30 and 40 years within the and system, but also to show the men, you know, as they empower the feminine, they mm-hmm. empower themselves also. We have both, and it's about balance, and the power that was coming through was so tremendous. My, I, I, I forgot some of the choreography, which I don't really care about, because really it's all about feeling and giving them what they're supposed to get on the messenger. My hands were so, they started shaking and they wouldn't stop. There was just, it was just so much power coming through. And so we look at this like, you know, dashboard hula girls and like luau and coconut bras and, you know, all of these watered down versions of what really the hula was meant to be and was used for back in the day. And so I'm hoping that when people see the hula from yesterday or hulas like that, that they really understand there's much more power mm. in it and meaning, um, and truth. So that is really cherished within the people and that's the way they communicated. So yeah, thank you for that, Mark.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, no, no. Are you telling, are you, are, are, when you're doing the hula, are you telling a story? Yes. Uh, maybe on future podcasts we can drill down a little bit into that because I'm really fascinated with the way we all tell stories in every medium. Um, welcome to that. So, oh, okay, great. Um, so we just – Toby, I just uh, – yesterday I was out and about, and uh, they were already putting up cones for the OC Marathon. Do you remember what happened last time the OC Marathon?
1: only only too well, Mark. I remember yeah. only too well
3: <laughs> I could I was trapped in Costa Mesa. I literally were doing our first podcast. I'm so excited. I jump in the car, I go out to my normal route, and i can't get through because literally they blocked off my almost my entire neighborhood uh so I was a half hour late for our first uh, our first podcast it was it was nuts um anyway i'm so so much happier sitting in my office doing this this time. Um, Also, I just wanted to mention the Newport Beach Film Festival finished on Thursday. It was Thursday, Thursday night. They had their closing event, and we have a couple articles up on OCScreenwriters.com that you can check out, written by Joe Becker, who's a board member. And also, Rudy Garcia recorded a bunch of video. Uh, He put them up on a YouTube channel. I still have to get them over to the website, but those will be there, too. He did a red carpet um, retrospective. He did a lot of red carpet interviews and stuff, so... We covered that with OC Screenwriters pretty successfully this year. And um, talking about events, uh, we have an upcoming Wednesday, third Wednesday event, and Michelle will be a special guest of that, although the main um, thrust of that is with Miss Tiana Lee and her mother, An Lee, uh, talking about their their journey in Hollywood. Tiana's a 15-year-old actress who has 10 years of experience in Hollywood, which is an incredible uh, accomplishment. Um, so anyway, her and Michelle will be there, uh, thrilling us. I think Michelle, are you Michelle? Are you going to do like a demonstration of some sort?
0: Yeah, sure. I can bring some of the weapons and show them. And yeah, I can do whatever. I, have, I think I have a half. hour.
3: Yeah, probably half hour something like that. The, Michelle makes her own weapons. By the way, she's she's posted videos of uh, her in the workshop with uh, looking pretty rugged. So. Um, and also, we, uh, coming up on June 2nd, which is a Saturday. This event we're doing on May 16th is a, uh, Wednesday, but we're, on June 2nd, uh, we're doing a, a claim jumper, uh, event, which is, um, um from 12 to 3.30. There's, in, there's details on ocscreenwriters.com, but it's the filmmakers for the gallows, uh, which is a small, micro-budget film that was picked up by Warner Brothers, kind of like, um, what was the film by Robert Rodriguez? El Mendiachi. Al Mariachi, yeah. It was picked up by uh, Warner Brothers, sweetened like like they did with Al Mariachi, and then eventually they they signed with Bloomhouse, which is a huge horror house um, production company, horror house production company. So we got those guys, and they're gonna they're gonna regale us with how they did this pretty much impossible thing. Um, but The Gallows was uh, was a huge success for them, and um, they're gonna. I think they're working on Gallows too, and right now, so. The 16th of May is uh is at the coffee shop in Costa Mesa C3 Coffee and Vape. Um, details on ocfilmandtelevision.com or com. and then June 2nd is um OC screenwriters uh at the Claim Jumper. We we do lunch and and speakers. So okay, I think I've talked enough. Damn. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what we're watching. Anybody watching anything interesting?
2: Well, um I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this in another podcast, but uh, I saw Avengers Infinity War. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, the rest of the good. universe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but definitely I, all the hype was definitely worth it. Ten really? years up 18 films. Uh, everything pays off. Everything that's been set up has been paid off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, uh, you, you guys, are, everybody here knows how much I love Marvel, but uh, I, I, had, I, had, I read the tweet by Kevin Feig about um, just thanking all the Marvel fans, saying that they're the greatest fans of all time for making uh, that, you know, Avengers Infinity War be the number one opening weekend of all time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you saw the image online too of uh, they have um, the lightsaber being passed to Iron Man like the baton being Mm passed, you know?
3: (laughs) No, I didn't see that.
2: Yeah, so I thought it was pretty cool. Uh,
3: Okay, Toby, anything?
1: Uh, Yeah, actually... um I'm just trying to think. I, I did have some some notes. Um, I did finish uh, season three of Happen Leonard, uh, yeah. and and uh, it's 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 good. It's definitely the, the, the it's funny the, the three seasons uh, that there been, and, and uh, I, I just think because it, it's it's um, I don't think it's a very popular. I don't think there's going to be a fourth season. I think there were really oh, lucky to three, bad. but um, each one is really different than the last. Mm-hmm. And this one is, is the most, I mean, if it's possible, it's the most different, but I really did enjoy, uh, the way it finished. Um, from the first note of the first episode, you knew it wasn't going to go well for most of the characters. You're like, this is a bad one. but, um, that was very satisfying, but otherwise it's, it's been kind of hectic, uh, here at the, uh, at the house. So I haven't seen that much. Uh, but yeah. I, mean, I did get to see happen Leonard. Uh, I binged a whole bunch of episodes of, uh community because that was show, <laughs> oh. that was a show i'd always like meant to watch you know uh-huh. and i'm a big fan of dan Harmon, but it was just uh kind of ships that passed in the night like that show when it was on I, I it wasn't in my uh scope but i went through and i i kind of i uh hey, Toby, i tore through that
2: did you see uh did you see me on 13 episodes of first season uh no. if you watch the background you'll see me i have my blue sweater you'll you'll uh, it's obviously me <laughs>
1: Well what 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 was happening in that episode? Uh,
2: I'm in 13 of them. I don't even know. <laughs> are you yeah, background? background are, those, are you like yeah. a, like yeah, an extra? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a dry spell that year, <laughs> so I I, uh, <laughs> I was an extra that year.
3: Wow, I mean I've known you for since two thousand nine and I've never heard that before. So
2: oh, well maybe he
1: wasn't that proud of it.
3: <laughs> um okay, and any uh, Toby, did you
1: did you get to see Avengers or I you have just not, t- I have not I thought that if uh, I was gonna start screaming for Victor if he started any spoilers at all. Uh, I've been there you go. I've been so uh I'm like touching I'm touching my coffee table right now. Touch wood. No spoilers <laughs> uh so far and uh time permitting I might go this afternoon. Oh, but oh uh, yeah. It's just uh it's, it's just this is a very busy time at work and i've I've literally been like coming home passing out on the couch, and yeah. uh, I did not get to see it yet
3: yeah the it's the fastest film to a billion dollars ever, and um so it's already earned back uh you know the Hollywood formula I think is one and a half to up to th- two or three times its budget, and it the budget was three hundred million so it's already earned back uh whatever it's it's already supposedly made a profit, but oh, yeah, I can't I was
1: say, but if you have any kind of profit participation, <laughs> you're years right. away from turning a profit.
3: Right. If you have net points, uh, good luck with yeah. that. There's, so. there's, you still owe them $3 billion. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I, the stuff I've been watching is just catch up. So I'm just going to move on. Um, I, I, I haven't seen Avengers. I, I want to see it. I will see it, but, uh, it's not, it's not a priority. Cause like you, like you said, I've been extremely busy. So, all these events and stuff with OC screenwriters just been driving me nuts. But I also have a, you know, writing. Oh, so let's segue into what are we working on? What are we writing? I'll tell you, I'm writing, uh, my revolutionary war script, which is now up to 187 pages. And, um, I'm starting to work with another writer on a micro budget, um, limited location script, an idea that we both came up with, uh, during conversation. Chris Stires is a friend of mine. We collaborate on things once in a while. So, so I'm doing plenty of writing, and plus I'm still working on my book proposal, although this week I didn't have time. Um, Victor, you're you you're not working on anything. Are you writing anything? Not right no. now.
2: Um, and maybe it's something we'll, we'll bring up in a future podcast down the road with uh, the joys of being a screenwriting professor. But uh, at this time oh. of year, it's just reading everybody else's screenplays and marking them up in red. So uh, yeah, that's right. all I'm working right. on. Literally from the moment I wake up to the time I fall asleep, it's just reading other people's screenplays and putting them in red.
3: Hmm. Okay. Toby, anything
1: actually? Yeah, a little bit. I've been playing with some stuff, uh, just like really kind of like trying to flesh out some ideas that were like treatments or if I had a, not, not not even a log line, but if I just had like a hook in my head, like what about this? And I've been trying to expand on that. And, uh, one of them is just a just a tease. One of them is sort of a, it's a heist movie. It's a Vegas heist movie, uh, but it's involving, um, Sort of like these 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 fringy, uh, semi uh, telepathic uh, freaks. Basically, mm. uh, it's it's basically that there's this subculture of um, people people that are like a little bit telepathic, a little bit psychic. They've got like a little mm-hmm. bit of a talent that normally in your regular life you can't really weaponize it and, and do anything with it. But Vegas, of course, is a, a city based on games of chance. They, they have a they have a slight edge. And and uh-huh. the, the the premise is that Vegas has known about these people for a long time and sort of uses them, utilizes them. Uh, oh. You know, like if you're if you're a guy that's pretty good at, at being like a bit of a cooler, like you bring bad luck. So right. so they're sort of like they're sort of like mutants with really mediocre <laughs> superpowers. <laughs> and uh, I love it. I love and, that. and, and that's just sort of the and it, but it's but it's very much like if if Ocean's Eleven, it was eleven guys or, or people that have um, sort of. Almost useless abilities. So it's, it's mm-hmm. sort of like a, you know, they're all kind of sad sacks, and and um, mm-hmm. kind of in the same way that uh, the stand everybody gravitated towards Colorado is that if you're one of these people with these abilities, you sort of gravitate towards Las Vegas because there's there's just nowhere else that, to take advantage of 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 that, you know. And there's yeah. also like a deficiency, like one of the characters, um, he he's 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 above average at predicting coin tosses, which of course. It's not a particularly powerful ability. He's above average, but he has no sense of smell. There's, there's like these, you know, everybody's a bit like, oh, that would be really useful, except uh, you need to take a shower. So it's, it's a bunch of like misfits and uh, and how they, they find their strength. I
3: wrote, I wrote a misfit superhero movie years and years ago. It was so much fun. I, it's probably the most fun I had. And actually, I based it in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, so, which we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, but my friend Wayne Hershey wrote, uh, or not Wayne Hershey, Wayne Kramer wrote, uh, The Cooler, wrote and directed The Cooler, oh, which I always thought was, yeah, yeah, I'm a
1: big fan of that movie. Love that movie.
3: Yeah, he, he's a really, you know, he and, well, I'll talk about him at some other point, but he's, he's a pretty cool guy. Or not. Um, he's got some very definite opinions about the, <laughs> uh, the business of Hollywood. Um, I mean, well, I'll, I'll hold on that. Um, Michelle, thanks, Toby. Uh, Michelle, so you, are you working, did, Am I right? You're working on a book.
0: Well, I'm not as seasoned as you three. That's for sure. It's a little intimidating to talk about it, but um, yeah, two of them. One is um, more of the spiritual side encompassing, like it's called the path of the divine feminine warrior. And it's a, it's a short book, but a more extensive workbook. So I've been asked to turn the She Mm -hmm. program, the superhero experience, which is basically just self-defense and women's empowerment into an actual type of program, a workshop. So, um, I plan to finish that, um, which takes a lot of thought and, and care. It's, uh, knowing, envision sitting there with a room full of women that are examining themselves, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially, and touching on all of those realms of our being and, um, trying to just get through the walls and the programming that they've had their entire life to really let them feel that innate power and, encouraged to move forward in changing only, only they can change their life. So it's really putting the power back in their hands and not being a rag doll to society or their current situation. So a little bit more on the self-empowerment tip, but, um, the more fun book for me would be, uh, what turned out to just be able to show the the Lua weaponry, the wood weaponry with the shark teeth and without the shark teeth, it turned into this almost historic feminine warrior weaponry book. And so the images are, um, they're amazing. I I'm really pleased with, the photographer who wishes to remain anonymous. Um, he's turned me into this almost 300 Spartan looking like very gruff yet elegant warrior holding these weapons. And if you were to chop off my head and kind of shrink my female body parts, uh, it would look like a guy because of the way that he's been able to, I don't know how he did it, but he made me look bronzed and chiseled and just extremely strong hands. It shows there. I've (laughs) seen him. Oh, and you know, just looking at the cartilage, holding the weaponry, it looks like I've been to battle. And I think that's what I really was going for. I just didn't know it. So I'm really excited about the release of this book. I'm hoping it's the, the latter part of this month or early June and um, with each image shot just the image I'm going to uh, give a historical narrative on how this weapon was used, when it was used when it was um, deployed in combat it uh-huh. was' it the favorite of a specific island. And, you know, how the family that I study, the Lua, how they used it, but also how the military used it under the reign of King Kamehameha. So I'm pretty excited about this book. It's it's more of an imagery book, but also with the image and the intensity that comes out of it. Because there's people that are going to be appalled and just stunned and empowered by it. And I... I look forward to the responses, and so there's several bookstores that are interested and in owning it. So, what I would love to do is actually make the, um, you know, the course they want to blow them up on canvases as well, but I'd love to make the um, relevant the the actual weapons that are shown and have those displayed as well. So I have a lot of work to do That's when it comes crazy. to furthering the book in in and of itself. But yeah, pretty excited about those two literary works.
3: Yeah, I've seen the pictures. Uh, they are striking. They do look like something from the movie Three Hundred. Um,
1: if If Three Hundred was took place in Hawaii, I guess. The 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 self defense aspects of it is that is that how it was originally uh, intended, or, or are you uh, evolving it into that um, into that area?
0: Um, it wasn't. In fact, because I'm the only female student, I never thought that I would ever focus on women. And it's, I swear over Toby, over the last three or four years, it's been very clear that that's really where my focus should be at this time. So she developed itself. I mean, I took aspects of the hidden combat art within the hula. And then I used the hula to teach the women, the movement, because all women had to take, you know, all girls had to take dance and it's just evolved into this, it seems very gimmicky, she, you know, superhero experience, but women relate to that. They get to choose to dress up if they feel like it or not, but it's, you know, we're always in this alter ego. And I think this is genderless, you know, we're always in what we, what we think society thinks we should be. And it's breaking through that and um, putting on our superhero costume uh, in our minds and utilizing mm. those tools. And, yeah. uh, you know, superheroes are cool. They're always prepared. They have the latest gadgets, you know, they, they're crime fighters, you know, everything we aspire to be is, you know, young, Mm -hmm. you know, girls and boys. And, you know, that's still very much relevant now. And so getting them into that mindset Mm. and, you know, breaking through, um, this double standard that women have for, they would die for their loved ones. And this is a visualization we do in, in the workshop. It's usually three hours and it's, uh, you know, it's grueling for them. And there's, crying and they're screaming and there's yelling and they're finding this power and they're over, they're just overtaking all this programming. And you know, they, I have them envision, they close their eyes they envision their most beloved, the most loved here on the planet. And we go through a situation in their mind where there's a, there's something that's going to happen. There's, you know, bad guys or opponents, you know, converging on them and they envision themselves saving their loved ones um, and, you know, whisking them back to the house and and they're safe. And, you know, that's where it, is, it has been. And the response has been so overwhelming that I, I'm constantly messaging with some of the women that attend and other women that haven't attended the course yet. And they want more. They're ready. It's time. Their awareness has evolved to the place where they're tired of where they are. They know they're capable of more. They know they've been built for more and they want that. So that's now, you know, evolving into the path of the divine feminine warrior, you know, on every level. Um, you know, just to better people's lives just really helps me become more. And the work just keeps evolving. So it never started as self defense ever. It started as combat, take them out, you're done. And for some reason, I'm just being led to move this way and I'm very grateful to be a messenger.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's great that you're doing this. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a father to a 15 year old daughter and, uh, and I mean, and I went yeah. to like uh, a, a conference for teachers not that long ago and it had like Amy Poehler's business partner up there and she talked about how the formative years for girls is like so hard because like they, you know like they're 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 measured by society and their self-esteem's constantly attacked 24/7 you know mm. and i'm i'm so happy that you've created this program for women cuz women are like there's
0: thank you you know it was really know oh, no, no, i no. just
2: say, like i you know women are like i i'm, I'm amazed by the strength of women every day cuz you know i was raised by a single mother and like when a woman mm. cares about like when she really understands her own strength there's nothing they cannot do and i'm glad that you're teaching women how to tap into that power
0: oh thank you
3: Okay, well, that's, that's really some fantastic stuff. I mean, um, again, you know, we're all, we're all creative in our own unique way. Uh, you know, one of the things we don't talk about too much is Toby's amazing work as an editor, but that's as creative as any screenwriting or any book writing or any, anything, anything anybody does. So it's really great to express um, the creativity in different ways. It's all story, right? It's all talking to people, communicating that's the goal of uh, what we do for all of us, all of us. So, uh, Speaking of Mr. Walwork, um, he had a, he has a rebuttal to a top 10 list we did a couple podcasts ago where Victor uh, threw out his top 10 comic book movies, and Toby was appalled. No, he wasn't.
1: I was, I was offended <laughs> on the highest levels. <laughs> no, actually, the joke of it was, honestly, right after we got done recording, I was talking to my roommate. And uh, and and you know he he was only marginally interested in what, what we've done the right, show about, right. and I said we did this top ten list of uh, comic book movies, and uh, because I had the document that uh, that Victor had sent out, I, I went down the list, and um, my roommate much more than I was appalled at like well what about this what about that, and I'm like oh yeah that's a, that's a good one we didn't cover that that's a good. so eventually so so really what I'm going to present is my top ten other comic book movies. Uh, but I should probably mention that my roommate Tony contributed to these, or at least uh, stood, stood over my shoulder while I was writing them down to make sure I got them right. Uh, so what I will say is, so this is my top 10 other comic book movies, no capes required, mm-hmm. because I thought that, I thought that uh, Victor's was a little cape-heavy. But in, in my own defense, first of all, there's, uh, there's like 17 of them, because I can't count to 10, and at least one of them does have capes in it. So, okay. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's
3: try to get through all 17 before yep. we run out of tape.
1: Oh, just, yeah, I'll just tear down. We don't have to, uh, we don't have to get too much into them unless anyone has any questions. But number one, this is not necessarily in this or in ascending order or descending order, uh, but Constantine, the mm-hmm. uh, 2005, I think, Keanu yeah. Reeves movie based mm-hmm. on Hellblazer. Uh, but I, I think it's a, and also, I should also mention, these are movies I think are pretty good. There's lots of just movies I don't think are good, but we're not going to mention them. Right. Uh, Road to Perdition, Tom Hanks movie. Not, not a lot of people know this, but that's actually based on a graphic novel. Did not know. The author of the graphic novel is also a screenwriter, but did not write the screenplay to, oh. Road to Perdition. Huh. Interesting. Uh, but that's actually, it, it's actually, it's a really nicely done book because it's told very much from the kid's perspective, the, the son's perspective. And I think in the book, it's done very effectively. But of course, if you've got Tom Hanks in a movie, you're not going to minimize his screen time for anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, 30 Days of Night. Uh, you guys all love your vampire movies. This is Vampires, uh, in Alaska. So, of course, oh, yeah. they have 30 Days of Night. They don't have to get home. Uh, this one I would probably say is my personal favorite as far as a, a graphic novel that becomes a movie that really embraces comic book. And that's Scott Pilgrim versus the world, mm-hmm. uh, directed uh, by Edgar Wright. Uh, didn't really connect with an audience when it was released in theaters, but now it really does have a cult following. That's an excellent, Good. uh, excellent film ghost world, which is, I'm pretty sure that's a Sam close or Cloy's Daniel Clow's book. Uh, it's probably a little over 10 years old. It's, it's a, it's an indie movie based on an indie comic book. Um, there's a couple of masks in it, but there are no capes. <laughs> uh, next up American splendor. That's uh Harvey P. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, these are definitely guys that kind of push the envelope of what comic books are about, and and I think translate into movie, excuse me, translate into movies very uh, effectively. So, uh, so American Splendor definitely worth checking out. He wa he used to be on Letterman a lot. Yeah. yeah, David Letterman loved him because he seemed to be a guy that was so nonplussed about being on a nationally televised talk show. Right.
3: Right. And, but eventually he stepped over a couple lines, and Letterman threw him off the show. But yeah. uh,
1: yeah, well, that was, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, Harvey also knew that he had a reputation to maintain about being kind of curmudgeonly. Mm. And, uh, you know, sometimes you become a victim of your own creation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, V for Vendetta. Um, very interesting film, quite a bit different than the graphic novel, but a lot easier to get through. The graphic novel's a bit of a slog, but it's, uh, that's good stuff. And, uh, then, uh, these these actually all have some stuff in common but next up 300 uh Mm -hmm. which michelle i I know you're a fan yeah um the visual style of the comic book turned into a movie obviously turned into some photographs as well but um really really kind of like taking it and not just lifting the story but taking the entire aesthetic and saying can we make a movie that looks like this feels and uh 300 great for that Mm -hmm. also by Zack snyder is Watchmen. um I can't remember if, if Victor had that on his list cause I don't have it in front of me, but Watchmen is slavishly, uh, uh, inspired by the graphic novel. And, um, for some people that doesn't work and for some people that does, but I think it's a very interesting film. It does. Um, it does sort of hold up as far as being challenging. And so I, I think if you didn't like it the first time you saw it, you go back and watch it. Now you will. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not betting money on it, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Next up, Sin City. Uh, maybe maybe historically remembered as the as, as peak Frank Miller, mm. um, at Robert Rodriguez. Uh, again, visually, how do I make a movie that looks like a comic book? And I think Sin City uh succeeds in that. Um, and they did some they did some sequels and stuff afterwards that were perhaps not not quite as effective, but definitely. You don't turn on Sin City and uh, not remember what it is. It's yeah, it's, a, it's recognizable a, in, in a way that most films can only aspire to do. It's
3: a very stunning, a visually stunning film.
1: All right. I'll just run down the list now. These are the honorable mentions. These are okay. ones that I'm like, for whatever reason. A History of Violence, good movie, also based on a graphic novel. Not a lot of people know about that. Did not know that. Kick ass. Kick mm. ass. I am okay with the movie. I don't love it, but it's, it is kind of interesting. It's fun. It flips things over a little bit. Uh, the movie Red, this is the uh, Bruce Willis movie. Red is based on a graphic novel called Red Retired Extremely Dangerous. That's R-E-D. Mm. Um, funnily enough, the, the graphic novel is really, is, is about 20 minutes of the movie. Like the graphic novel itself is very brief. Uh, certainly, that it inspired two movies because there's a sequel to Red. That's that's a bit of a shocker. The Rocketeer, um, nineteen ninety, visually a beautiful film that was made. Because um, I, I was I, I kind of went back and revisited it aesthetically. It's made consistently with the time. Mm-hmm. You know like the special effects are are special still but it's made as if it were is like this is how we would make this movie oh. in 1943. Yeah. Or or I forget if that's the year. Maybe 1936. I know it's, it had Nazis in it. Yeah, it's right at
3: I think it's right at the beginning of World War II or yeah. 39 I think is right.
1: But uh like it's it's a really fun movie uh, it, it was not a huge hit when it came out it was in the 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 early 90s uh, spate of superhero movies but but that's a great one and of course the art it, it's a beautiful looking movie and I think a lot of that is because the comic God. book itself by Dave Stevens is is beautiful mm-hmm. uh, in, in in every panel yeah uh,
3: from uh, there- fun fact on Dave oh, Stevens. Ahead. yeah Dave Stevens we dated the same the same girl um, for a number of years I mean not not together, uh, differently, but, but I, I I met I met him at Comic Con a couple of times. He's re, was really he died early. He died very young, but he was he really did, yeah. a really cool guy. I love his artwork. Um, just really incredible stuff.
1: It's true, yeah. Uh, from Hell. Uh, this is a uh, pretty good story of um, Jack the Ripper. The movie had, gosh, was it? Was it? It was Johnny Depp. Before we knew if we liked Johnny Depp again, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of mm-hmm. like mid, uh. It's, it's interesting. The book itself has got a really great graphic style that probably wasn't going to translate well to movies, mm-hmm. but it's a good movie, and it's a great graphic novel. Uh, I'm going to say Dread, but not Judge Dread. Mm. But they're both pretty watchable. But Dread mm. is the one that really, I think, captures the energy of what the comic book Judge Dread uh, from the 2001 AD comic book mm. uh, really captures that energy, so I recommend that one. Ghost in the Shell. Uh, ghost in the shell was a movie last year it's also based on an anime but it's also based on a manga so it's still a comic book in that respect um each each translation um has to make changes to accommodate so um you know to kind of take that with a grain of salt i don't necessarily recommend that movie i didn't dislike it but it's not if you like ghost in the shell you might not like ghost in the shell mm-hmm. and then uh, this one is uh, my last one. is uh, graphic novel's name is All You Need Is Kill, uh, but you might know it as.
3: No, do Ed- no idea.
1: Edge of Tomorrow. Um. Or, or Live, I repeat. Now the graphic novel is quite a bit different than um, Edge of Tomorrow. But Edge of Tomorrow, I think we talked about that when we talked about sci fi movies, is uh, definitely overlooked. It's Groundhog Day with robots and explosions. Mm. and
3: uh, I like that movie a lot.
1: Yeah, and, and, and ironically, the movie itself was not a big box office success, but they have greenlit. I believe <laughs> they're in production on a sequel, which is kind of unheard of because of how it was critically well-received but did not make a pile of money when it came out.
3: Right, right. Oh, that's a great list. Um, we'll, we'll post it to the show notes also, so Toby, send, me, send it to I, me whenever you get a chance.
1: I certainly will.
3: And, um, the only, I mean, we talked about a lot of other, a lot of other films with, with, uh, Victor comic book films. I still yeah. think for me, for the last couple of years, you know, those are, those are great. And you're right. No capes necessary. So, um, terrific list. Great list as, as befits um your your very odd uh at times worldview, which I really really appreciate so <laughs> well
1: i 'll take that as a compliment it is a you can take it any way you <laughs> want. But
3: no it is a compliment i'm i'm always amazed at uh how you look at the world um this, yeah. y- you see the same world we do but i y- somehow you process it differently, which I always think is uh, pretty incredible. Okay, so uh that's amazing. Um we're going to go now. Let's see what are we working on now here. Let me this is going to be cut out of the podcast cuz I'm uh temporizing here. Um all right, so we're going to te- we're going to um <clears throat> head over to uh a Q&A. Uh Victor, do you have a did you have a question? Uh I, I did I did we talk about something for that uh, somebody was asking about?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh it's actually a question for both you and 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 Michelle mm-hmm. um, and the questions regarding because you know uh, 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 let me preface this question so a few years back when Mark and I first became friends um, you know we we, we we realized we're both martial artists um, you know Mark being a black belt and me being a, a tie boxer and we're like you know be really cool we're both martial artists and we're both screenwriters and maybe there's something we'll pick up later but we were thinking about throwing an event where we, we have writers come into a dojo of us and we would show them some moves. And the reason why is to, so that when they write their action sequences, they would be more valid, Mm -hmm. right? Cause a lot of times, and you'll see it too, when you watch your movie, especially in the lower budget and, um, the people that write the action sequences, they they don't know what the hell they're doing. Like, like anybody who's ever been in a real fight knows it does not play out like that whatsoever. Right. Um. So my question to you two is, do you think having a martial arts background um, or, or at least having an understanding of combat, physical human combat makes your writing better or makes your ability to write those scenes better?
3: um you know i can answer that question uh specifically but michelle what do you think i mean do you do you teach when you go on a set um do you have uh specifics that you're given by the director are you are you bringing your own um specific worldview to your stunt work or your fight work what's what's going on there
0: well oh, it's so <laughs> It's just such a good topic, Victor. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not a diva, but I'm very particular. If I'm the only woman showing my art, then it's my art that I'm going to show. And, uh, you know, anyone can, you know, be taught how to throw a lower kick um, without any type of training or uh, a really poor punch, you know, where obviously if they're going to connect, they're going to break their own hand, parts of their hand. I think it's really, really mm-hmm. uh, important for an actress that is on screen to be able, or an actor, to be able to to do martial arts, to know the basics. Um, I know that the industry would rather work with uh, actresses to teach them how to do the martial arts moves. But I mean, it's like you said, Victor, it's just very obvious to those of us that have trained that that would just never, it's not realistic and it would never play out the way it does. So For me, I'm very, um, it's something I'm going to talk about when we're all together on Wednesday night is purpose and intent. Are you just like everyone else or do you have a purpose? And my intent is to show my art. So while I can do amazing butterfly kicks, not regularly, but can do it, you know, maybe 10 times for the camera, (laughs) um, it's not my art. So you can get anyone else to do that, especially if, you know, they're Taekwondo or Hapkido and they throw those kicks. They're beautiful. I just don't do them. Um, I'd rather show the hand-to-hand, being very close, being on my opponent. I mean, Lua in itself means toilet, which means to consume. I means to eat. That's how close I am. They become part of me, my opponent. And, um, you know, you bring them straight down into your opu, your guts, and you poop them out. And that's really what Lua means is to eat them and consume them and get rid of them into the deep, dark pit. Um, So that's not, you know, I can't show these beautiful moves. But, um, to me, I'm very purposeful and I just had a shoot last weekend. We shot 17 hours, two days. And, um, you know, I, it was very important for me to stay true to that and make sure that the cameras were where they're supposed to be. And yes, they're not used to shooting it because they're used to being farther away, but to show the intricacies of the art and the different animal bites and the different animal strikes and the nature elements that I'm emulating, like in the hula, but only now it's close court, you know, close quarters combat, it's very important for me to know what I'm doing. So you've got this, you know, mm-hmm. duality in the industry. Actress, no training, will train or trained martial artists that people don't really want to work with because they think they're difficult um, and can't actually mm-hmm. act it out, which I think the latter is more valuable, you know. Mm-hmm. It would be very beneficial to have yeah, for, um, something, you know, a seminar, a workshop, a meeting like you're talking about.
3: Yeah, for me, I, I've always – I get this question a lot from students. Like when you see a fight scene mm-hmm. – oop, that was my computer. <laughs> uh, stupid computer. Um, <laughs> when So I get this question a lot when from students. Do you write the action scenes, uh, the fight scenes, uh, all that stuff? And the answer is absolutely because the first person – touching your script is typically not a director or, or even a producer. It's a reader. It's somebody who, uh, who can parse, uh, you know, a story or a concept. Um, so I've always thought that my martial arts training has benefited me greatly because I do know how to write, I, I can visualize the moves. And so I can put them on paper Having said that, I've pretty much never seen my, my, anything that I've put on, you know, I've sold how many scripts and had 19 made into films and I've never seen my work put on the screen because basically you have a stunt coordinator, um, who comes in and he may take your general suggestions, but they're gonna, they're gonna translate, just like Michelle translates her fight scenes into her art, they're gonna translate their fight scenes into their art. Um, and so I, in fact, one actor, um, God, I'm going to forget his name. He, he was Spike of Bensonhurst. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers that, but he was a trained martial artist. And when we did the movie, I had written all the fight scenes because there were a lot of close quarter fight scenes. And he just basically told me, you know, I'm going to do this, this and this. I mean, I, you don't argue with the actor. You just let them do whatever they want. They're the talent. They have the the big uh, the big megaphone. But yeah, it definitely helps, I think. And and Victor, you know, we've talked about this over and over again. It helps both it helps anybody to be able to visualize that that close quarter um cuz I've seen a lot of people do that uh, right in that karate chop, you know that old James Bond uh in like Flint karate chop where you hit something right. on the side and even though that can be effective, the way that they're doing it has no has no impact. So yeah, I think it's I think it's eminently um uh um beneficial to do Uh, to have some training at least at least understand that when you hit you know i don't know maybe maybe i mean we all know we've all hit somebody with our fists we all know what that feels like and so you don't really get the benefit um i mean if you're writing a real thing you're breaking somebody's hand if you're hitting them the wrong Mm -hmm. way so um but yeah but i'm all i've always been proud of my martial arts training and i've always thought it it did inform um my my work so Mm -hmm. well it's a great question (laughs) Hey Toby, um, can you tell the the our dead radio audience where uh, how to send questions and stuff like that?
1: I can indeed. Actually, I was trying to pull that graphic up so I could read it uh, very smoothly, and <laughs> I didn't quite get there in time. So I'm filling now. Okay, well we can. But, no, 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 I, no, now I can. Okay. That was that was the filling. That was, was the fill. <laughs> you're you're just such a pro. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Plot Points podcast is available on iTunes. And that's probably how you found us. But it's also available on our website, plotpoints.com. And you can call 919 scripts to leave a question or a comment. We love to hear from our listeners. Yes. Uh, and oh, well, Mark, did you want to?
3: No, no, that? go ahead. Do you want to talk about, uh, just uh, mention the events too?
1: Well, yeah. I was just going to say, if you want to find anything else about our events, uh, you should go to the Orange County Screenwriters Association website, which is OCScreenwriters.com or OCScreenwriters.org. That will also have links to our other websites and our other events, which includes OC Film and TV. And uh, that will tell you about the events we do on the third Wednesday of every month, including the next one, which will be featuring our guest today, Michelle. Michelle. And... Uh, the one that is in June, which will be featuring the creative team behind the Gallows, uh, which should be pretty awesome.
2: I think
3: so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to listen. These guys are are great guys. I've I've talked to them a couple times. They're they're really fantastic. And also coming up in June, we have Frank Chindamo, who's a, a new media guru expert. And uh, in July, we have. Kristen D'Alessio, who is an independent filmmaker, whose movie uh, starring Jennifer Morrison and – I can't believe I lost this actor's name again. Um, Toby, you know who it is from Almost Famous?
1: Oh, yeah. uh, Patrick Fugit.
3: Patrick. Yeah. I I knew it was Fugit. I just couldn't think of the first name. But he, uh, he and Jennifer Morrison are in this movie. Called Alex in the list that Kristen, uh, they're gonna. It's going to be released on May fifth, so we've got her coming in July, and then I think after that we may have Michelle have a uh, uh, let her go and kick some ass uh, all on her own at uh, at uh, the C three vape and coffee <laughs> shop. So we we've got a we've got a great lineup. Um, we, we we're constantly adding. Uh, you know, Victor is constantly finding us great talent um and uh places to uh to put it so um keep, you know stay in touch sign up for the OC screenwriters newsletter um which just it which also feeds OC film and TV so if we're doing a OC film and TV event I'll use the same uh, mailing list that I use for OC screenwriters okay uh well wow this has been amazing um so far i Uh, we typically have been doing lately a first 15 breakdown of a script of a movie. Um, We've done wind river and uh, get out. And I think that's been it. Did we,
2: the big uh, sick?
3: Yeah. The big sick. Um, I tried to find a version of the script for one flew over the cuckoo's nest. um, That made some sense. And the ones I see online are early versions that don't have a lot to, um, to, to do with the film. So rather than do the breakdown I'm going to do a retrospective because and this is this was prompted by uh, Milos Foreman, an, an incredible director who just died and he was the responsible for one flew over This cuckoo's nest as far as the directing which I think one I think a movie like this is a combination of great directing great producing great acting great great source material great writing I mean just it's one of those things that as a writer you dream of getting is a great director who can translate material uh, directly into a great writer, a great actor or actress. So this is, they're magical when they work They're magical. Um, 1975's one flew over the cuckoo's nest is perhaps one of the greatest films ever made. It's on many top 10 lists and after having been nominated for nine Academy awards, winning all five major categories, only the second film to do that to that point, it also won numerous BAFTA, which are the uh, British Awards, and Golden Globes. In 1993, the film was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the United States Library of Congress and selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. Cuckoo's Nest started life as a novel by Ken Kesey, written in 1962. Kesey, a counterculture icon, wrote an incredible story about how society castrates you and eventually kills your will to live. The book itself is listed in many top ten, uh, top 100 lists. Randall P. McMurphy, the main character, who is played in the film by Jack Nicholson, fakes insanity in order to serve out his sentence for battery and gambling in a mental hospital rather than a prison farm. In the movie, they changed it to statutory rape of a 15-year-old, but as it explains in the scene with the doctor who runs the asylum, she was 15, year olds, 15 years old going on 35, Doc, and she told me she was 18. The book... Uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was made into a play written by Dale Wasserman and starring Kirk Douglas as the Randall P. McMurphy character. Douglas tried to get the play made into a film and couldn't. No studio would touch it. He eventually gave the film rights to his son, Michael Douglas, who did get it made with writers Lawrence Haben and Bo Goldman with Milo's Foreman directing. The amazing themes and strengths of the book, play, and film are still so prevalent and important in today's world. To say that our society has in many ways become even more intolerant and likely to punish rebels is an understatement. One need only look to the talented football quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, who can't get hired by a team after, after engaging in a kneel-down protest of the national anthem in 2016. McMurphy's attitude is prescient for all ages. Listen to him talking to the inmates. He's really talking to us directly, both then and now. Jesus, he says, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place, and then you don't have the guts to just walk out? What do you think you are, for Christ's sakes, crazy or something? Well, you're not. You're not. You're no crazier than the average asshole out walking around the streets, and that's it. How impressive is that little bit of monologue? We gripe about everything we do, and we still go and do it every day. Isn't that the very definition of insanity? Do you hear the indictment of our lives in those never more than true words? Of course, the messianic motif of a man willing to die for his freedoms will always have resonance people are still inspired by McMurphy's ultimate sacrifice that frees the collective minds of the inmates who have been beaten down by society, which is microcosmically micro represented brilliantly by the insane asylum and the big nurse, Nurse Ratchet, written and played perfectly by Louise Fletcher, who also won Best Supporting Actress. In the book and the play, McMurphy's sacrifice sac- inspires all the inmates to seek freedom from the insane asylum. They all check themselves out once they discovered what's happened to McMurphy. He's empowered their potency of will. In the movie, this motif and theme of sacrifice and freedom is even more strengthened and brilliantly done by focusing it only on the chief character, who is able, through McMurphy's example, to put aside his fear and literally burst from his inner and outer prisons. The other changes from the source material to the movie were impressively done, none more so than the fact that the chief character is the narrator in the book. This actually softens the Chief's incredible arc, in my opinion. So in the movie, there is no narration as the Chief transforms from a mute statue to a man as big as a mountain, as he tells McMurphy, just before he impossibly tears a marble fountain up from its moorings and escapes from a confinement. It is one of the most powerful and iconic moments in cinema. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. And it's made possible by keeping Chief and Enigma through the first half of the movie. Every one of us probably secretly aspires to be the rebel Randall P. McMurphy, and many of us are also Chief and Big Nurse Ratchet. There's resonance of plenty in this film for all. I saw this great movie again recently. I had assigned it to my advanced screenwriting class when Miloš Foreman, the director of the film, passed away. Every film student should see this film more than once, more than twice, dozens of times. It's a wonderful example of how to write a film that is funny and deadly serious, thoughtful and slapsticky, inspirational and frightening plot theme and character are massively served in every scene there are very few films either today or yesterday capable of that if as i contend we are we as writers are the truth tellers the shaman of this modern world for insight into ourselves and that world there is no better example than this brilliant and epic film to inspire us and carry out our missions of insight as chief said to mcmurphy now we can make it mac i feel as big as a damn mountain." Watch this movie, understand its craft, and absorb its undying thematic spirit, and you'll also feel as big as a mountain. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is available on Netflix streaming. Now, I know you guys probably have a lot to say about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
1: Well, if I, if I can just jump in. Uh, one of the things I think we, is, is uh, the character of McMurphy and the character of Nurse Ratchet. those names have become pop culture references. And I think a, a movie a story has to have a certain resonance if if we take that and we and we we work it into the fabric of our of our popular culture i mean nurse absolutely I'm, more people know what nurse Ratchet means as a as a as a phrase than perhaps have seen that film and and that's 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 that 's a testament to something very powerful and uh, we, we shouldn 't forget that uh, although Milash Foreman did not write this. Uh, he grew up uh, in 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 Europe in the in the, the time of the Nazis. Both his parents died in concentration camps. He was in Czechoslovakia during the communist uprisings there. That's how he escaped uh, that. But you know, it's it's knowing about that kind of oppression, institutionalized mm-hmm. oppression.
3: Mm-hmm. Good point.
1: That he had to bring to Cuckoo's Nest. You know, he's like, you know, Cuckoo's Nest really is that microcosm of of a culture of a society and. um you know, I, I I think he must have seen that story as something that he could bring a unique take on, and that's why that mm-hmm. that, that film is probably hit the crowning achievement of his career.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I I liked a lot of his stuff, but Cuckoo's Nest really stands heads and tails above everything. So, um, all right, well, we have um, you know, come to the end of the podcast. I'd uh, like to thank. Uh, obviously a co-host Toby Walwork, um, and my buddy Victor fan. Um, we, the three of us are part of the Orange County Screenwriters Association as board members. And these guys work their butts off all the time for the organization free of charge. We're all volunteers. And then of course the lovely Michelle Manu, um, and I should say lovely and capable, I guess, but you are very lovely and, uh, incredibly capable. So. Um, we look forward to see, hearing you again on the podcast uh in the near future. Um, and then you can see Michelle, you can meet her in Costa Mesa on March 16th, where she'll be co-hosting uh with uh, Tiana Lee. Incredible story she has. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us. Uh, look forward to hearing you on future podcasts.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed myself.
3: Well, uh, um, again, we will post uh, links and in the show note to a lot of Michelle's um things that are coming up. When is um when, when are any of the books coming out, Michelle? Do you know, or is that still uh, uh, up to, still the vagaries of the publisher? Uh, no,
0: it's actually in my hands to finish the historical portion, and uh, I'm trying something new as far as formatting. So um, I'm hoping the end of this month, or early June, and then The Path of the Divine Warrior um, would be uh, sometime hmm. early next year.
3: Oh, okay. So we got to yeah. wait a while for that, so. Okay, and if, uh, if we're lucky, maybe Michelle will give us a couple photos to post in the show notes of, of her uh, version of uh, the Hawaiian 300. Um, Done. That'd be fun. Um, okay, guys, thank you all. Um, remember, folks, that we are available on iTunes. Um, you can go to the website, PlotPoints.com. You can go to OCScreenwriters.com or .org and, and actually listen to the podcast um, on our website uh they, there's a little widget that i stuck in there with the uh, podcast and i'd like to thank um Mary Claire Anderson Van Kempen princess uh who ba- basically was with us for for most of this year and uh looking forward to having her come back at some point um but uh mc thanks for suggest this was her idea this whole podcast was her idea so thank you for um for coming up with it it it's Probably one of the one of the things I really into, I really love doing uh, so I'm happy to do it I'm happy to have the people that have been able to uh, co-host with us and I look forward to another year of uh, really talking about film and script writing and um, involving you as much as we can in the process um, but you know guys go out there and get your you know get your um, what do they call <laughs> it get your yayas on or whatever find a way to Find a way to stay in film and stay in writing. Don't ever give up. Don't ever stop. Just keep going. And as always, be inspired and do good work. Thank you.
0: Put your hands over your head and breathe deeply. Is
1: that a different sound? Is that a different sound?
3: I'm telling you okay